Blessings to you, my friend. This is Pastor McGee with Empowerment Ministries Christian Center, and you're listening to Empower the City Podcast. I pray today that your hearts are blessed, minds renewed, and you are infused with the passion to serve God like never before. Blessings to you, and enjoy the message. Chapter number 13, verses number 1, 2 Samuel 13, verses number 1. God be glorified today. Be glorified today. Amen. Let's make our declaration of faith. If you have your Bible or your electronic device lifted above your head, somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Amen. Again, um, this is our, our final message on um, covenant godly sex. And uh, again, this is um, uh, PG-13. And uh, because of the content that I'm going to be dealing with um, today, um, there may be some things that just happen on the inside of you. And, and the way we're going to have service today, once we conclude our services, um, we will have some prayer warriors here. Uh, that if you need someone to pray with you, to intercede with you, um, we're going to make ourselves available. Uh, one of the things that um, God often does through me um, is when I'm ministering, is a lot of times people come into a, uh, just a regular service like this and have no idea that God is actually going to deal with something in their past that hurt them years ago. And um, I always want to do a good job, not just opening people up to handle it, but to make sure that they're closed up. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so we're going to provide prayer for those who need it after service. If you're good, you're good. But if you need prayer, don't leave here without it. Can you say amen to that? Book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 13, verses number 1. The writer says, In the course of time, and Amnon, son of David, fell in love. Somebody shout, he fell in love. Now, we're going to define love um, within this context because what we see as the word, this is the problem with our English di dictionary. We we use one word for everything. Watch this. I love my wife. I absolutely love my wife. But I love my car too. I love, I love my car. I love pizza. Anybody love pizza? Man, I love Jesus. <laughs> one word for everything. But when it comes to uh, Hebrew and the Greek language, there are different words to express different emotions. And this type of love is not the love that God requires, the agape love. It is a lustful taking love because watch this, true love always gives. Lust always takes. Love is concerned about your well-being. Lust, at the end of the day, is only concerned about self. Are y'all with me? So this type of love is not a godly love. The beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David, Amnon, because Amnon became so obsessed with his sister, Tamar, that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, 
and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said, so everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. She responds, no, my brother. Somebody shout no means no. No, no means, it means, it means no. But she wanted it, Pastor. Did she say no? Somebody shouted again, no means no. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. 13, what about me? This is her plea. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools. Understand, Amnon, he's a prince. He's a prince, the oldest son, heir to the throne of David. You would be like a fool in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you, but don't do it like this. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon, now, now this is why I know it's not true love. It was lust. Because look how fast that thing turned as soon as he got what he wanted. 15 says, then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said to her, get up, get out. Father, now in Jesus' name, um, I'm asking you, Jesus, to rest your chiefest of anointings, not just upon this vessel of clay, but upon this house. God, there are some that are hurting because of things that have happened to them in their past. And I believe that this service, as well as this house, is a catalyst of healing. And I thank you in advance for lives that will be touched, changed, transformed today, forever. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, this is week number four. We've been dealing with this idea of covenant sex. And we started the first two weeks out um, with when it's done right. Somebody shout, when it's done right. There's so many joys, man, that comes when approaching this God gift of sexuality in the right way. Week number three, uh, we basically highlighted the, 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 the idea when it's done too soon. It's not about right or wrong. It could be right, but just not right now because it is too it's too soon. Today, I want to highlight the idea when it should never be done. When it should never be done. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to give you some proof text and I'm going to read a few scriptures, but I'm, I'm really going to uh, share some personal things with you guys on, on today and be very, very transparent before you guys because I believe healing happens uh, through transparency. So this is who I'm not talking to today. I am not, watch this, I am not talking to the individual that you know of some current craziness that's going on in the life of some child, some, some molestation, some, some abuse or what. I'm not talking to you. This is the only message that I have for you. You need to tell somebody. You need to pick up the phone and get the legal authorities involved. Can somebody say amen to that? So, th so I'm, I'm not, th the, the rest of the message is not for you. Th this is the only word. Pick up the phone, call somebody, 
who can handle it. Can somebody say amen to that? So this is who I do want to talk to today. I want to talk to individuals like me. In your past, you've had some type of sexual misbehavior or letdown that the enemy tried to use to really break your life for the rest of your life. That's who I want to talk to today. Happened to me when I was maybe six or seven years old. And it's interesting because to this very day, it's certain things in my childhood I can't even remember. I believe, I believe it's actually a gift of God. I, I believe that it's a part of how God made us, that there are certain things that are so hurtful that he just blocks the remembrance of those things out. There are certain things when I grew up, even, it wasn't even maybe two or three years ago, I had to ask my big sis, Fawn, Fawn, what, what was this? I remember these pictures of stuff that happened. Tell me about this situation. Six or seven years old, uh, my parents, um, I don't even know where my other siblings were, but I remember my mother dropping me off at my grandmother's house, and I love, absolutely love my grandmother. Matter of fact, I eulogized her, had the honor of eulogizing her uh, several years ago. And um, after dropping me off at my grandmother's house, uh, Granny went somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where Granny went. Uh, but that particular night, it was terrible weather, thundering and lightning. And I just remember just being under the table just in a little ball because I was afraid. I'm five, six, seven. I don't know how old I am. And um, one of my older cousins was staying the night with Granny, or actually just living with her. And he called out to me. He said, Greg, are you, what's wrong with you, boy? And I said, I'm scared. And he says, won't you come in here with me? And so I go into his room, and he pulls me into the bed. And see, there are certain things sexually that should be done later in life when it's in covenant. But then there are certain things sexually that absolutely should never be done, no matter what the age is. And that night, my older cousin molested me, this five, six, seven, I don't know how old I was, little kid. <laughs> And it's interesting because years later, looking back, and, and I'm at a much better place now, but I understand where people, countless people that I've ministered to and I've helped go through uh, rapes and molestation and all this other kind of stuff that were victimized just like I was. And, and there are three places where people usually land after they've experienced some type of sexual encounter like this. Either they live the rest of their lives in victim mode, survivor mode, or just victor mode? What's, what's, what's victim mode? Victim mode is you spend a large portion of your life still feeling powerless and therefore acting powerless. Now, I'm not picking on nobody. I'm not beating nobody up. But I know a lot of people that's stuck right here. It happened to me. I'm upset about it. And they spend the rest of their lives not taking control, not taking action, just paralyzed as if they can't do anything for themselves. They're, they're still stuck 20 years later in victim mode. Typically moving from one abusive relationship to another, the victim lives in denial, refuses to face the secret of the past, and possesses no knowledge of how to receive help in healing. V victim mode. I, I was blessed because I didn't stay here long. I didn't stay here long. I moved to survival mode. This is the survivor mentality. 
The survivor is aware of the need for facing the past. Takes action. Somebody shall take action. That's, that's what I did. Now, now this, is the thing about, this is the thing about survivor mode. You still limping, you just decide to keep walking. That's where I was for years. Still limping, still hurting, still aching. But I'm not going to spend the rest of my life feeling sorry for myself, nor asking people to feel sorry for me. Take action to deal with debilitating issues such as false guilt and shame, anger, unforgiveness, loneliness, and grief, personal, personal sin. There was something that happened in my life that transitioned to me to survival mode, and I'll talk about that. Then there was something else that transitioned me to victim mentality, where I'm no longer in bondage to the memories of the abuser or of the abuse. It's not that I can't remember what he did. I do. But watch this. Still got the scar. Just ain't got the pain no more associated with that scar. I can think about it, and if I want to, I can replay the moment, but don't have to cry my eyes out the way I used to because I'm more than just a victim. I'm more than just a survivor. God has made me a victor. Grows in self-worth and vulnerability. Now, that's key, especially for an individual that's ever been raped before because vulnerability is usually the last thing that you're going to give, and you, you, you got to understand and I was thinking about this for from the church's perspective, but in all actuality, um, it's not just the churches, it's humanity in general, because sometimes we're too quick to judge people based on where they are, but we don't know where they came from. Because this same guy, and this is why I say, man, if you know something that's going on, you need to say something, because this guy that molested me, I was not the first, neither was I the last. So it happened before me, and it continued to happen after me, Nobody said nothing, and he continued to hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. Somebody shout, you got to say something. So growing up and God helping me to build my self-worth and value again, allowing me to be vulnerable in front of people again, that was a God thing. That wasn't a great thing. And the capacity to experience authentic love and intimacy with others Uses past pain to ministers to others, present hurt. This is where I am now, and I want to take you guys on the journey of, of where God brought me from and how I got to the place right now of a victor's mentality that I'm no longer mad at him. I'm actually sad for him. So this is what I like to do, and I think it's right for any preacher. You should never just preach off experience alone because what God does in you, he's already done in somebody else. And usually you can find some biblical pattern of how he helps somebody else through the same thing that he's getting ready to help you through. Can somebody say amen to that? So when I was praying concerning this passage of scripture, I, I asked God, show me the hope in the story. Show me the good news in the story. Surely, surely there's good news how it turns out. So I started reading more and more and just doing research on, on tomorrow and, and this was this was the best thing that I could find about this girl who had a great heart just wanted to serve her family but wind up being raped by her family members this was the best thing that I could find verse number 18b says she was wearing an ornate robe for this was the kind of garment that virgins the virgin's daughters 
of kings wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went. I can, I can feel that because I cried for days. I cried for days. I was looking for victory in the story, but I didn't find victory in her story because 20B says, and Tamar, li- look how she lived the rest of her life. Tamar lived in her brother's Absalom house, a desolate, empty, broken woman. That ain't what I wanted for myself. That's not what I wanted for my future, for my children, for my wife, to be connected to people, but just broken, desolate. So I know what God did in me, so I said, God, I need you to help your boy with a biblical example, watch this, of somebody who went through something as crazy as I did, but came out on the other side. And I found it in the craziest place. I've never seen this in the text. I've never, I've never seen this in the text until a few days ago when I was reading it. Many of you guys who follow my, my, my messages, especially my slides closely, there's a lot of quotes that I, I do from June Hunt, and I was reading through uh, one of her books on rape and molestation, and she paints this picture of this story of these four boys, and I've never seen this before. It absolutely blew my mind. She says, four teenage boys were torn from their families, separated from their homeland, and forcibly abducted to another country where their captors controlled their every move, even dictating what they ate and drank. Their names were changed, their futures determined. The four were forced to serve a ruthless man who gave no thought to their personal desires and dreams. At the height of their budding manliness, the self-centered man destroyed their sexuality and stole any hope of their ever-fathering children. He castrated them. He sexually violated them. In spite of the fact that they were sexually victimized. These God-fearing young men trusted the Lord with their very lives. Ultimately, their admirable faith caused their captors to respect and honor them. And in the end, watch this, God proved Daniel and his three friends that he indeed was their true provider and protector. These boys, I, I don't know why I missed it, Because these boys were eunuch. They were brought from another land into the king's house. And I knew this historically, that this happened in every kingdom. Whenever whenever a king would bring a eunuch in, he would castrate him. But I never made the connection that that's what happened to Daniel. That's what happened to the three Hebrew boys, four Hebrew boys. They were sexually victimized. I said, God, show me the victory. Show me what happens in the text because it's just like last week, man. I ministered a message and watch this. God did something on the inside of me before I knew biblically or scripturally what he did. He had to show me in the Bible later what he did. That's what happened in my life with this situation. God did something in me. He had to go back and show me in the book what happened. How you came out? How did you come out, Greg? How did you, how did you move from victim to survivor? And beyond just surviving, just limping the rest of your life, hiding your handicap to the place where you're walking in victory. There's some things that I'm getting ready to say next couple of minutes. And it's going to be challenging for some of you guys, but I need you to hear my heart. This is the first thing that I had to embrace. It's okay to doubt people, but remain faithful to God. 
So when I tell the story of how your boy got transformed when I was eight years old, I mean, I ran into Jesus for real. You understand? I'm not just saying I just got baptized when I was eight, which I did get baptized when I was eight. But watch this. I got the elders baptized. They examined me. They wanted to make sure that this dude was saved because, because, and this is my concern as well, you baptized the kid at the age of five. When he turned 25 or 35, he wanted to be baptized again. But at the age of eight, I had a real encounter with God. It wasn't just because I knew the story of salvation so well, because all of my siblings, we grew up in Sunday school. We grew up in church nine months before I ever got here. Man, I was in church every Sunday. So I know the story but it was more than just a story. This little six, seven, eight-year-old boy was hurting in his heart, dying on the inside, and Jesus introduced himself to him, and I chose to fall in love with Jesus for the rest of my life. Now, I'm telling you, it wasn't easy, and let me tell you why it wasn't easy and why it's not easy for some of you guys who've had some catastrophic things to happen to you. This is why, and this is what challenged me later on in life, because these are three things that I know about God that I've learned literally all of my life. God is all-loving, He's all-knowing, and guess what? He is all-powerful. That's who God is. That's who he is. But for somebody that had something happen to them as a young child, it's hard for me to receive all three of these elements that this is who God is because if he is all-knowing and he's all-loving, how can he love me, know what's going to happen to me, and not do nothing about it? So as a young kid, I had to kind of, you know, downgrade God just a little bit. He loves me and he knows, but maybe he can't do exactly what everybody say he can. Or maybe he does know and he's all powerful, but he's not as, maybe he's just a little cold-hearted towards some people. You can go all three. Maybe he does love all. Maybe he is all powerful, but maybe he doesn't know everything. So I fell in love with God, but God had to, God had to show me some things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faithfulness to God manifests the blessings and revelation of God. I, I chose, I ch because I wrestle with this concept of all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God. I wrestle with it, but I just made a choice. I'm going to be faithful. I don't understand it. I'm just going to put it over here. I don't understand it. But I'm going to remain faithful to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. Saved at the age of eight, 13 years old, called into the ministry. No, I'm talking about I had, I had a real call of ministry. It wasn't just I saw somebody preaching that looks cool and I, I want to try it. No, I heard God pull on my heart and say, I'm choosing you to do that. So my faithfulness equated to not only the hand of God resting upon my life, but then revelation. This is where some of us are missing it. We say, if God will reveal, then I'll be faithful. If he will show me why it happened, why I had to go through this. And if he convinces me that the reason is good enough that I had to go through this, I'll commit to you, I'll connect to you then. But until then, Jesus, help me in this place. I'm going to kind of do my own, my own thing. I, I, chose, I chose to be faithful. And watch this, I'm not throwing rocks at nobody because watch this, like I said, this dude, he did it to several of my cousins. I have several family members. I have several family members, and I've talked to them since, since this time that, that, that they are homosexuals now. They're lesbians now. And it's interesting, people that have ministered to them always talk to them about the sin of homosexuality, but never talk to them about the pain. Because the reality is, the first encounter that my little cousin had with a man was him taking something from her. 
And if this is how men are, I'd rather not have one. And then I had other cousins, watch this, they became so promiscuous and the whole family talked about, look at you, you little fast self. Not knowing the only reason she's giving herself away is because she never want to be put into a position where somebody take it. So I'd rather give it than have somebody take it. Faithfulness to God. I, I chose, man. I chose to just commit. Didn't understand every way. And this is what I'm, I'm challenging. I'm challenging. I'm challenging. If you knew everything, it wouldn't require faith on your part at all because you know it all. Trusting God means don't know everything, but I believe he got my best interest in at heart. So after committing to him, Years later, and I'm going to take you down the journey of what God did on the inside of me because at the eight, from, from, from eight on, now I'm in survival mode. Survival mode. For that first year and a half, whenever it was, six, seven, I don't know when it was, when it first happened, I was in victimization mode. I needed sympathy. I was hurting. I needed somebody to lick my wounds because I was in pain. But when I met Jesus, he moved me from victim to survivor. Better, but not where he wanted me to be still. People were admiring me, and it's interesting because everybody in the church know what I'm going through, but ain't nobody talking to me about it. So years later, these are some nuggets that God revealed to me. Again, what I'm getting ready to say might be offensive to some, especially if you're still in victim mode. If, you, if you're there, some things I'm going to say may, may still be hurtful because you 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 at a place where you need pity, and I'm not picking at you. That's just where you land at this point point in your life, but I'm telling you today that God has more. He has greater for you. Can somebody say amen to that? This is what God showed me. God does not control the will of man, but he holds him accountable for his actions. God don't control. God didn't, watch this, God didn't make him stop. Because watch this, God could have gave him a heart attack right there. The moment he called my name, he could have had a stroke right there in his head. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God says, no, I'm not going to make somebody serve me. I'm not going to make anybody love me. I'm not going to make anybody do right by me. I'm going to give them control of their own will. But if they choose actions that hurt others or against my will, I will always hold them accountable. So that was a revelation that God gave me. But I still wanted to know, okay, I'm with you with that one. But I want to know why they had why they had. I can't even say, why did that have to happen to me? I grew in my relationship with God, and there were some big boy things he told me that maybe at, at eight I couldn't handle. But later on in life, when God began to minister to me and give me revelation, I was able to handle it then, and this is what he showed me. It's not about why it happened, but how I can use it after I heal you. And that was a big boy revelation. It ain't about why. Because this is not the first thing crazy that's ever happened to me that I've asked God why. And there's several times God has said this statement just in different forms. Another issue that happened years ago. And he said, if I couldn't see how I could use it to bring me glory, I would have never let that happen either. But I saw it. I am all powerful and I can't do anything. I am all knowing and I saw it coming. But what I saw coming, I saw how I could use you. After I heal you, to bring about healing and restoration to the lives of people. 
So the very thing that God, the very thing that the enemy tried to use to break you, God's going to heal you so you can help others. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things God works for the good. Somebody shout, it's working together for my good. Man, you got to have just that type of faith. I don't know, I don't know how God's going to do it. All I do know is it's going to work together for my good some type of way because I do love him and I'm called according to his purpose. Can you say amen to that? So watch this. I wanted a biblical example. And these three Hebrew boys, stolen from their home, made slaves, castrated, identity stolen. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That ain't even their real names. <laughs> That's their Babylonian name. We don't even know their real name. It's in the text. We just never say it. So just, just, just walk with me for a second. By the way, these four Hebrew boys, they were of royal blood. So in their home country, they had privileges. Certain things that they could do, certain places that they could go, that commoners, that others just couldn't do and go because we have certain food that was only reserved for them because they were of royal blood. They were snatched from royalty, snatched from their homes, made slaves, sexually violated and made to serve. Now, now hold on, hold on, because all we know, all we know is that these were devout Jewish followers that honored God. So you mean to tell me that the God you serve, talk, talk to me, the God you serve, let all of this happen to you, and now you're in a humble place. What, is, what will be your response when you go from the palace, Joseph, to the pit? This is their response. The first challenge was, we want you to defile your body and dishonor your God by eating our meat instead of the meat that your religion says that your religion says that you should eat. And Daniel speaks up and he says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for, for, for permission not to defile himself this way. Although he's in this humble position, he remains faithful to God. And because he's faithful to God, here's the, somebody shout, blessings will come. Blessings will come. Here's the blessing. Watch this. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams and all of all kinds. That's, that's the blessing. But, but watch this. Here's the revelation. 19 says, the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all. So they're in an humble position, but they remain faithful to God. And because God favors them, because they remain faithful to God, God blesses them in their humble position, watch this, and causes the same king that castrated, to them, castrated them to be wowed by them. Out of everybody else that I've stolen from every other kingdom, Something special about you. We run into another situation in Daniel chapter number three when these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, 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 are, they are challenged with this idea. If you don't bow down and worship this image at the sound of the music, anybody that refuses will be thrown into a fiery furnace. You would think with everything that God has allowed to happen to me, and if I don't bow to this, I'm going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. 
Because if God didn't save me from that, he might not save me from, I need you to hear, I need you to hear this because I'm getting to read you something that's going to blow your mind. If God didn't save me from that, he might not save me from this. And if he might not save me from this, maybe I need to go ahead and bow. But these boys said, King Nebuchadnezzar, the same king that stole them away from their homeland, their plush position, castrated them, made them slaves. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, we, we know. I, I, watch this. He, he didn't save us then. I know he didn't. I know he didn't. But we know he's going to save us now. The God we serve, somebody shout, he is able. He is able to deliver us from, from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, but hold up, hold up. I just, want, I just want you to know, king, let's not get it twisted. I know he's able and he will, but just in case he don't, we still ain't bowing. You, you, don't, you don't even understand what the enemy has tried to use your tragedy to do to you and your faith. He wants you to so remember the pain of your past that you turn your back on God, but the devil is a liar. I, I wish, I wish I just had just maybe one person that could say, yeah, pastor, I've been through hell, but I still trust God. But even if he don't, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. My youngest son, the first eulogy I did was my boy, my oldest boy. My oldest son. And I was a fiery preacher. I'm, a, I'm really a teacher now. <laughs> Coming under a possibility, I got to let him listen to some old radio broadcasts, baby. I adopted his fiery fire-breathing style. And I preach healing and I preach deliverance, healing and deliverance and miracles. And then my, my oldest son dies. Where's your God now? I'll tell you where he is. The Lord gives and the Lord takes it away. Blessed be the name. I refuse to turn my back on God because of what I'm currently going through right now. Same chapter, verse number 27, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see, <laughs> I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son, KGB says, son of God, the son of man. Now, look at 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to God. Now, now watch this. In, in the first situation, they tried to defile them by eating stuff that they weren't supposed to eat. And they stood faithful to God, and God blessed them with revelation and understanding. And after revelation, when they stood before the king, the king was absolutely wowed by what God did on the inside of them. 
Here's the second test. If you don't bow down in front of this image, we're throwing you into the fiery furnace. They stand up for God. They get thrown in the fiery furnace. God shows up, and look what the king does now. The first time, he was just amazed at their wisdom, but this time, now he gives praises and glory to God. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. It was another time. King issued another order that nobody prays to their God, to a God except him. But the Bible says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. I know what the king says, but three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, doing what, y'all? <laughs> Giving thanks to God just as, he, just as he had done before. So you know what happened to him? He got thrown in the lion's den. But you know what God did? God rescued him. <laughs> My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me. 25 says, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. The first time they stood up, it just wowed the king. The second time they stood up, the king gave praises to God. The third time they stood up, now the king says, everybody got to worship their God. I wonder what God wants to do through your pain and your affliction of your past. Because had, you, you understand, you understand. The whole purpose from the beginning, Abraham, I am going to make you a father of many nations, and I'm going to bless all people through you. These four Hebrew boys are a part of the lineage of Abraham. And God has revealed himself to this nation, but God is not satisfied. He wants to reveal himself to the whole world. So what the king did was transportation to get the message of, the, of God to the rest of the world. Based on these boys' faith, now the king knows who the real, true and living God is, and not only does the king know, he has literally broadcast God's work throughout the entire. I just wonder what God wants to do through, what, what, what message do God wants to get through your misery? So I was in survival mode most of my life. I was still hurting, still in pain. But I had learned how to mask it and just move forward. And several years ago, several years ago, 2006, God started dealing with me about Empowerment Ministries Christian Center. I was a limping preacher. I was a limping Christian. Why were you limping? Because I was hurt. I was still in pain. God started dealing with me about this church. And I'll never forget 
I was on my lounge. And um, no, this was this was a dream. That's another. Excuse me. I was I was in bed. I had a dream that night. And some of you guys have heard this testimony before. Now I'm showing you what it actually links to. <laughs> I had a dream, and in the dream, I had this guy in the bear hug just like this. And I had him tight. And I woke up out of the dream. Now I knew what God was trying to say. That wasn't, you know, some dreams you have just crazy. They don't even make sense to nobody. They don't even make sense to God. God, like, I don't know why you had that. <laughs> It might be that Popeye's chicken said, oh, don't say that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you had that dream. <laughs> Delete that out the tape. I don't want to get sued. Praise the Lord. Um, so I knew God was talking to me. So I got down on my knees automatically, and I said, God, what you trying to say to me? It didn't take him long at all to speak. God spoke to him, and he says, it's impossible for you to grab a hold of all I have for you as long as you're holding on to a man. I was in survival mode, but God had more in store for me, but he couldn't give it to me because my hands were already tied. Now, I knew exactly what he was talking to. God didn't have to call a name. He didn't have to, I knew exactly what he was talking about because out of all of my years of living, it was only one man I hated. It was only one funeral that I wish would happen very soon. Preaching the gospel hate in my heart. Some people would say justifiable hate, but the reality is he did sin, but I had my sin too. My sin, not his sin, but I still had sin. So God told me to forgive him. So I asked God to help me to forgive him because this is, I, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to help me with this. So I started doing research on forgiveness. It's coming to a close. This is what I learned. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget. And some people say that forgiveness is forgetting. That's not true. That's not true. That type of forgiveness is a divine forgive forgiveness. And we're not capable of a divine. We, we, no, that's, that's a God. God says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I separate your sin. I remember them no more. God can do that. But we can't. Because I remember that situation. I'm not dumb. I'm a smart dude. My wife don't always think so, but I think I'm a really intelligent guy. So forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't mean trust. It don't mean trust. You know, we, we've had several conversations since then. But watch this. He's never welcomed around my kids. I've told my older children who the man is not to be meanful or whatever, just to warn them that this man, he has no right to ever talk to you. If he has anything to say to you, you got to say it through me. You got heart. No, I'm good. I just don't trust his character. I don't know if he delivered a heal. I don't know. So it don't mean trust. Finally, forgiveness doesn't mean that I feel like it, it's not an emotion. I didn't forgive him because I weeped and I cried. Here's what forgiveness is. It's the choice that you make not to hate 
now because, because of what was done then. I made that, I said, God, I'm, I, I choose, I'm not going to hate him. I'm, I'm not going to hate him. No, 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 no. Did this come overnight? It didn't come overnight, but I started saying it. I started saying, I forgive him. I forgive him. I forgive him. I'd pull up a picture of his face in my head. I, I forgive him. I forgive him. Then I took it to the next level. God gave me this one. I started praying for him. I started praying for him. When I start, first started praying, did I mean it? No. I was like, God, don't let him die quickly. Let him die slowly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said some stuff, but, but eventually I started meaning it. And it's crazy. The more I prayed for him, the more God softened my heart. <laughs> so I made the commitment to forgive him. And then God challenged me to do something, and I don't recommend you do this unless God tells you to do it. He told me to do it. Don't do this unless God tells you to do it. Should you forgive? Yes, but the way I, he challenged me to forgive, he doesn't ask everybody to do this. He asked me to go to him and to release him. So I told God, cool, I got it. But here's the deal. I never see him anymore anyway. <laughs> So I ain't mind telling God, yeah. Because when the next time I'm going to see him in 15 years? <laughs> Doggone it the next weekend. <laughs> and I'm, serious, I'm, I'm telling the story. I'm telling y'all heard this story. I'm in church on the first row. We was on the second row. My wife was there. I think he was my girl. Were we married then? Yeah, we was married. Yeah, yeah, we was married. I'm on the first row, and they, they playing my jam, Chris. I'm talking about. They playing my jam. You understand? It's the kind of jam you want to do the next slide with. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm sitting there jamming, and watch this. Sister Cunning, I look back, and there you go. Are you serious? <laughs> I was rocking like this at first. I look back, and I was like, Oh, Lord. Watch this. God, I say I'm good. You told me you would do it. I did it. This is the crazy thing about this guy. I didn't see him often, but every time I would see him, he'd come up to me like nothing ever happened. Like, Greg, what's up, man? I'm like, are you serious? How you, how you doing? I'm good. And then he'll try to hold a conversation. Then I'll, I'll just, you know, go because I'm still limping. But now I'm moving past survival to Victor because I didn't know that forgiving him, I didn't know giving him grace would heal my heart. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought forgiving him was going to help him. But you know what unforgiveness is really like? It's like you drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. So I go up to him at the service, and, you know, everybody just kind of, you know, he's getting ready to go with his car. I say, hey. <laughs> and I said, man, I'm not sure if you remember what happened years ago. And I was being serious because every time you see me, it's like, <laughs> I said, I'm not sure if you remember what happened years ago, but this is what I remember happening. 
And so I painted the picture in front of him. And as I'm talking, I see the shame and the guilt just coming over him. But watch that. I went, no, no. He, he said, ought to be. I didn't want that. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to, watch this. I'm trying to move from survivor to victor. Because God was the one who told me that you can't grab what I have for you as long as you're holding on to it. And God told me that. So watch this. I'm not going to allow what you did to me at six or seven years old to now stop me <laughs> from receiving all the devil is a liar. This has messed with my life long enough. So I told him, I said, this is what I remember happening. And I just need you to know, man, I forgive you. I release you. I release you. He just started weeping right there. And he apologized, man, I'm sorry. I've been wanting to apologize. I just never knew how to come to you and, and say, I'm sorry. And I walked away and I, I was done. Now, since then, I've, I've seen him maybe four or five times. And that's been maybe 10 years ago. And, and you know, I go and when, he, when I see him, I speak. I speak. Sometimes my kids are with me. And they'd be like, hey, cuz, the devil is alive. <laughs> that ain't your cousin. <laughs> you talk to me. Don't talk to my babies. <laughs> I don't trust you like that. Let me just tell you what's crazy, though. Jesus. And I'm done, I promise. This is too crazy. So I'm riding down the street this morning, running late to church. My late is 10 o'clock. <laughs> that's, that's late for me. I'm supposed to be at 9.30. I'm running late, and I'm flying, and I see his son walking on the side of the road. And so I, I slowed down, and I, I had passed, and I backed up. And I said, what's up, cuz? Oh, how you doing, man? He said, hey, hey, man. I said, man, I want you to come to church with me. He said, man, I can't do that church thing. He just walked off. And I just saw, I, said, I sat there for a minute. I sat there for a minute. Thank God for healing. Because this is the decision that I made when I was sitting in my car. 955. I'm good, I'm good. I said, God, the devil used him to try to break somebody's son. I want you to use me to save his son. Use me to minister to him because he lost God. And the tears you see in my eyes, they're not tears of pain or regret. I'm, I'm really past survival mode. I'm, it's not the macho, Greg. I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm just so amazed of how God can really take tragedy and turn it into triumph. How is it that I don't see his son and want something to happen bad? No, man, I won't. Dude, I want you to be saved, man. So now that I look back, how did you go seven years old? Now you're 42 years old. 
two things happened. Number one, I made a choice to just trust God with my life. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I'm full of questions. In my mind, I want to doubt God, doubt Christianity, doubt the Bible. I want to do all of that because sometimes, how many know pain will talk to you, man? It'll talk to you. So number one, I made a choice to trust God. Number two, I made a choice to forgive the man who violated me. Trust in God helped me to limp forward. Forgiving him helped me to run forward. And I just want to talk to just a couple of people. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. And, and just due to the nature of the subject during this moment, I'm not calling you forward. And the reality is that some of you guys never experienced rape. You've never experienced molestation. But you know what it's like to be seriously disappointed by somebody that you love. To have somebody to do something just so crazy to you. And you're still broken on the inside. And you're not trusting God. You trust in your flesh. You in the sin, not because you like it, but you in sin because it anesthetizes pain. It's a painkiller to you. Or maybe you're trying to trust God. Maybe you're living for God. But it's hard to really embrace all that he has in store for you because you've got malice, unforgiveness, and bitterness in your heart. But today God says, I want to heal. This, this freedom course that we're starting in a couple of, starting in a couple of weeks, that's what it's all about. And that's why I've been, I've been pushing it. I've been pushing it. Because for some of you guys, it will be the first time you've ever really talked about some things that have happened in your past. It's going to be your first time that you're going to open up and to say, this, this is what I experienced. Again, doesn't have to be molestation, doesn't have to be rape, but I, I was just seriously dropped. I'm the Mephibosheth of the family. Somebody just dropped me when they should have held me, they should have carried me, they should have cared for me, but they dropped me. And God wants to bring about healing and deliverance. Will you guys receive this word on today? Come on and give God a hand clap of praise. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, there are just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted your life in any way and you'd love to help us to continue to impact the lives of others, go to our website, empowerthecity.org and select Give Now. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time.